This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap for Wednesday, the 25th of January, 2023. Coming up today, more talk on guide dogs and canes following your emails and Lord Robin returns. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode. Uh, still no Sean Priest today, sadly still unavailable to us. That's maybe the best way to put it. Uh, we are joined though today by a special guest, returning champion... Lord Robin Christofferson, all the way from Englandshire. Hello, Lord <laughs> Robin. How are you? Hello. The world's <laughs> upside down today. You know, oh, it was minus eight down south where we are. Yep. And it was 13 overnight up north in the highlands where you are. It's supposed to be the other way around. What's going on? So our back bedroom, I don't often, I don't often sleep in there, but I do have a, let's just say a snoring issue. I could be ungallant about it and say my wife has a snoring issue but I would never dare to say that because I don't like sleeping on the sofa so in the back bedroom we've got the spare bed you know for guests and when people are in the house and whatever mm-hmm. and uh, that no one ever comes here so it's fine so we generally keep the bed to ourselves but I went in there last night because I just couldn't sleep I just could not get to sleep last night I don't know what it is in the past couple of days I don't know if you found this is that a January thing I just cannot get to sleep <laughs> So I go in there last night, and that room is generally freezing cold. I mean, it's it's always cold, that room. And my wife used to use it as an office when she when, during the pandemic and during the lockdown, and she just couldn't sit in there because it was so cold. Last night, I could barely breathe in there. It was so warm. So I don't know wow. what's going on. I, it is so bizarre. The weather is just all over the shop. Hmm. We have two rooms, the two bedrooms of the kids that have now flown, oh. and we've turned the radiators off in there and closed their doors. So, yeah, they're cold. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's the way to save on the old bills. Yeah. It is. It is. It's also good to get rid of the kids as well. That'll save on the bills. Yep. <laughs> I recommend <That'll> work. it. <laughs> Send them off. Fly, my pretties. Fly. We've done what we can for you. No, good luck to you. Um, and how are you, Robin? Really good. Yeah, really good, thanks. Really yeah. good. We've been I, there is a, Christmas, haven't we? It's, it's just been so busy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not officially anyway. We haven't caught up, but yeah. No. Um, there's a connection between why I feel so good and one of the rooms that's cold. Um, you're using it as a gym. <laughs> Spin. <laughs> I am massively addicted to spin. And oh, yes. We yeah. had a donated uh, exercise bike. Really basic, but absolutely fit for purpose. And yeah, every day been going in there, freezing cold, but that's good because that's good you thing. have to strip off yep. anyway, because you get really hot. But yeah, so Spin Guys, recommend it. There's a brilliant channel on YouTube called GCN, the Global Cycling Network. Thoroughly recommend it. You'll get hooked, guys, you will. Is that an accessibility thing or is it for anyone or...? That's a really good point. So a lot of these bikes have, you know, touch screens and stuff like that. And they're mm. brilliant if you can get them marked up properly with, you know, lock dots or something. Um, mine's just a basic one with a knob. But the YouTube channel, they re- they uh, describe everything. So usually it's right. to the cadence of the music. So you can, you know, really get into it. And you don't need to look at the um, RPM on your little computer or whatever on the bike. And the um, effort level is on a scale of one to 10, where one is like a walk in the park and 10 is I'm going to die. I can only do this for max <laughs> sort of 30 seconds. I'm always at 10 these days. I feel that's, I start so at 10 and all the work up from there. Two things you need to know. Um, and you're cycling, and right? I mean, it's just like cycle more, cycle a bit harder, you know, cycle yeah, less. They, they, walk you through the different parts of the class. So, you know, you can have 15 minute, 20 minute, up to an hour. I've got one of them and it just says, okay, right now for the next minute and a half, we're going to go four out of 10 at, um, you know, 90 RPM or, you know, you just do it to the music basically most of the time. Uh, 
And then, okay, guys, now it's going to be 30 seconds, at, you know, 10 out of 10. Give it everything you've got. Get up out of the saddle. Come on, let's do it. And some of them are um, with videos on the screen, obviously. I mean, I just ripped the the audio off these. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, they're like in the Dolomites in Italy, I think is it is, or is it Portugal? I can't remember. But, you know, it talks about the views and, you know, it's really amazing. It's so addictive. Uh, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. And I really look forward to getting on that, that funny little bike. Everybody I speak to starts on fitness. And, I, I, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people do this at this time of year, right? They all jump on the exercise bike for about a day. And then after that, it becomes a clothes horse. And that's it. It just basically holds the clothes. <laughs> and that is its purpose in life. And really, all you do is you dust around the exercise bike with the full intention of getting back on again. And then it ends up in landfill. <laughs> Um, but actually, in your case, you are a bit of a health nut. You like to be healthy. You are. Every time I used to, I remember calling you and you'd be running up and down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't do that because my house would collapse. So I wouldn't <laughs> do that. Uh, but you've been doing that. And, you know, you do like to keep fit because you're working from home. Right. And that's the thing. You, you want to keep your exercise up because you're not out all the time. And you know as well as I do the dangers of, of just sitting down all the time. Yeah. I mean, have you heard this phrase, sitting is the new smoking? Yeah, I can believe it. Yeah. I can totally yeah. believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't pay any attention to it. I still sit all the time. But I, I you know, <laughs> in my to, head, yeah. I agree with you. If my head was mentally agile, you know, if it was able to be that my brain could burn calories, like in the way someone who's, who's being active could, I would be as thin as a pin. Because my brain works all the time. My body, less so. <laughs> I don't know what to do about that. I, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I don't mind going outside. Or as we've learned that last week, you know, going outside can be hazardous. can be hazardous yes. for your health. I mean, you know, walking the dog is the new smoking. It would well appear soon, for Sean. <laughs> <sighs> Honestly, uh, we get so many messages in, lovely messages for Sean. Uh, one from Chris who says, please pass along my thoughts and prayers to Sean. I was so sad to hear about his recent leg injury. Uh, good legal drugs or not, that has to be miserable. I wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, also, uh, incidentally, just following uh, Callum's appearance on yesterday's, in fact, actually the day before on, uh, what was it, Monday's uh, Double Tap, we had uh, Callum Stoneman here from Tech Talk, and he was telling us about the MacBook. He, he got... Well, his wife actually bought him a Mac Mini with M1. No, I tell a lie. It was an Intel Mac Mini that she bought. And uh, I was kind of ribbing him about it, a bit like the way I rib you with your MacBook, because I know yours is a a corporate one, so therefore you don't really have much choice over it. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's it's Intel. And that means that it is essentially, if it's a MacBook Air or it's a Mac Mini, it is essentially a toasty maker. That is what it is. It will basically Mm -hmm. make you nice food whilst you compute through your day. And a white noise generator. Very soothing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, all, it's everything in one. Um, but Chris says, just listening to that uh, latest episode, M1 MacBook Air came out in November 2020. I was wondering when the first M1 MacBook Air came out. And that's right. It was November of that year in 2020. But the Mac Mini came first mm-hmm. earlier in the year. And then the, the MacBook Air must have came later. Uh, she says, I got one right away. And I love it. It replaced my 2013 MacBook Air, which I must say, was quite a big step up. Do you know, it, it was. And I, I, you haven't really had the chance to play with M1 properly, have you? Not at all. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, it is a different world. I mean, I know, I, I know I'm a fanboy and I know people go, here we go. But honestly, I, the difference is astounding. If nothing else, in the fact that it no longer becomes a radiator in your room, if, if that alone is enough... And it, it doesn't become a white noise generator. It just sits there and you can throw anything at it. And I've really pushed this little MacBook of mine and it does not, it never heats up. And it's I actually sitting under like a stand. It's sitting under like a, there's a stand and then there's a monitor on top of the stand. And you think it would even heat up sitting there. It doesn't. And there's <laughs> never a fan comes on. It is insane. And I've got a Windows on it, of course, because I've got parallels running with Windows. Still loving that. Getting mm-hmm. more into it actually recently because I've had so many issues with laptops. I had a, I was out the other day. I was telling this to Mark yesterday. I was out the other day with my Surface Pro. I, I had to do some editing 
to cover some work because Sean was off and... <laughs> How dare he? How dare he? And I, I was covering the work, but I was out at a cafe. I had to take this Surface Pro. This is the most unwieldy thing. you got to pull out a... It's like a, a sweaty octopus you're trying to manoeuvre into position. It's just ridiculous. Are you this, talking about the kickstand? Yeah, you got the kickstand and you got this floppy keyboard at the mm-hmm. front and it's falling all over the place. And of course, heaven forbid if the, the table's wet, then your Surface Pro is wet. Now that's fine on a regular laptop because you just give it a wipe. But it's a fabric material. So suddenly the whole thing stinks of coffee all the time. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I'm, what to say. I'm not a fan. <laughs> just not a fan of that design. I don't know about, Brilliant don't know about machine, you, but stunning if, machine. If you, just terrible design. Yeah, if I have even a slightly different keyboard than I'm used to, then I'm hampered. Oh, I can't be productive. All so, at sea. Yep. All at yeah. sea. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with that. I can definitely see that the M1 has benefits for portability because of battery life and heat and all that sort of thing. But the mini side of it, I mean, don't if you have a, a decent Intel mini, Mac mini guys, don't have too much FOMO because, you know, apart from the radiator thing um, and saving the planet, you know, there's not you're not going to see a massive difference, are you? Oh, just you wait, my friend. Okay, just okay, you wait. <laughs> I tell you, you're going to... Well, I don't know. It's always difficult to know. And be, I think you're the one I'd be really interested in hearing from on this, you know, because I certainly noticed the difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are still issues with, you know, voiceover issues that you would have. I mean, occasionally you get the busy, busy. Not as much anymore, I must admit, but you still do get the uh, Safari not responding as it is mm-hmm. these days. But that's a software thing. Now, that's not to say that I excuse it, but it is a software thing. It is not to do with the device. The machine itself is way, way capable mm-hmm. of doing whatever you need it to do. And I think that's the thing. If you're, you, can, you almost feel like, at the beginning, I certainly felt like, I can push this thing to do lots of different tasks at once, like being able to render out a video file and do something else at the same time. Now, on an Intel Mac, that would have been fans screaming, the thing's almost bursting into flames, and, you know, maybe, if I'm lucky, I'll get to the other browser. Now, doesn't even think about it. It's almost like, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on! That's what it feels like. It just feels like it's constantly saying to me, just, yeah, come on, whatever you want, let's just do it. And M2 will no doubt bring even more of that. I must admit, I think once you've got into the M1, I think the M2 is not going to feel that much of a difference. I think if you were to jump to M2 from Intel, I think you would really notice a difference. But, you know, I'm sitting here looking at all these options on the Apple website for the new Mac Minis with the M2 and the (laughs) MacBook Pros, and I'm thinking, honestly? Most of the specs had a 20% jump over M1. So, yeah, you might notice that. But, uh, yeah. It's going to be so minute, really. Especially, and again, it depends on what task it's doing. You know, I, I, you know, it's, it's like when they say this, you hear these reports and you hear, you know, 20% faster. Yeah, but in what sense? If I'm closing a Word document, is it going to be 20% faster? And will I even notice? You know, if I'm yeah, opening no, up a, a session on Audacity or I'm opening up a session on Reaper, by the way, I'm now playing with Reaper. Oh, that's another story. Wow. Um, that's an incredible piece of software. And the only reason I'm using it is because, A, Audacity on the Mac, not that accessible, Mm -hmm. which is a shame. I really wish they would move on with that project, but I know it is open source and it is free and people have got to work on it with their own time. That's the problem there. Uh, On the PC side, I don't know how you got on with Audacity. I know you use it for your your dot-to-dot podcast and your Echo Show podcast, but honestly, it's crashing for me all the time. Wow. Constantly crashing. On the Mm, PC side. In the VM? Or? Not in the VM. I don't use that anymore. That has certainly had issues since <laughs> the, the the initial experience I had using virtual machine version of Audacity on the Mac on the PC side following this. Um, that was that was pretty good. I was quite impressed <laughs> by that. And then I'd gone back to it after a while, you know, me changing machines every five minutes. So I'd gone back to it and... I felt there was it was very sluggish. The audio wasn't responding properly. The latency wasn't good. So I thought, okay, let's not do that. Let's use a dedicated PC. So I have on my desk, uh, or actually behind my desk, um, an HP Omen desktop, which mm. is supposedly a gaming rig. I got it secondhand. 
a decent machine. It's got a Ryzen 7 in it, made from AMD. It's got, you know, 16 gig RAM, a good SSD in there. And so, you know, the machine itself seems fine. And it's smooth as butter and everything else, every other app I use. But Audacity, as soon as you open up a session, pff, if it's an over an hour, and of course, oddly enough, our stuff usually is, then it doesn't, it doesn't behave well with it. So hmm. it just crashes out, and that's not ideal. So this is something I'm looking into, is, is trying to learn Reaper, because Reaper is, I think, the ultimate. And there are other reasons, which I'm not going to get into today. But let's just say uh, Stephen may have been spending some pennies on Amazon recently and uh, I may have bought a new mixing desk I'm just saying I'm just saying I may have got a new mixing console <clears throat> and it may well be a multi-track one I'm not saying anything it sounds incredible <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to getting into all that but I haven't even set the thing up yet so we will get there and I will talk about it when I when I get to uh, I just want to mention some other comments coming in for Sean because uh, lots of you are sending in some lovely messages uh, Billy B says, sorry to hear Sean has had a fall. Hope he's okay. Uh, lots of messages um, congratulating Callum on the show on Monday. He was great having Callum Stoneman here, of course, from the old show uh, on uh, Tech Talk. Gordon says, so sorry to hear about Sean's accident. Wishing him a speedy recovery. Hashtag friend of the shed. I don't know how long it's going to be before Sean gets back into that shed. I think it's going to be a while. Uh, so I think it's going yeah. to be Sean. We're going to rebrand, I think. It's going to be Sean of the Sofa. Change yeah. it from now. The new episodes of Sean of the Sofa coming soon. I, actually, wouldn't it be more appropriate to call it Shed Cast, since he's in a cast? Oh. You see? That would work, wouldn't it? <laughs> he's going to need a ramp, because it's up some stairs at the end of his garden. I so, know. Yeah, he needs some accessibility there. Um, Andy Brown says, sorry to hear about Sean, wishing him a speedy recovery. Lots of lovely messages coming in. Um, Brian at That Real Blind Tech Show says, if I want a co-host, give me a shout. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Always always thinking. I, that's why I, I was saying this to Callum the other day. I said, the amount of people who get in touch and say, but, I mean, if, you, if you would like me to come on. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. There's a seat free. Um, but no, listen, you're, you're, you're all welcome here. Everyone is welcome, and I really do appreciate your, your comments. I know Sean does too. I was talking to him last night, and um, I mean, in amongst the, oh, it's really sore, and ooh, and, you know, clearly high on, you know, whatever legal drugs they've given him. Um, he, was, he was okay. He's doing okay, keeping his spirits up. That's the main thing. Yeah. So we will be keeping, in, uh, keeping a check on him. We will get him back on at some point. We'll call him during the show, maybe during like a surgery or something. You know, like in the middle of surgery, call him and ask him how he's doing. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Uh, for who? <laughs> well, for the audience, <laughs> not for him. <laughs> right, let's get into some of the emails. And uh, I want to go back to a topic, because you've all been bringing this up in the emails. Uh, I had talked a while back, Robin, and I don't know if you caught this, I was talking about guide dogs and canes. Mm-hmm. Nice interview with them. Um, oh, Don Pickering. Yeah. Dawn brilliant. was amazing. So we interviewed Dawn, and she won't mind me saying this. Her intention was to bring Dawn on for just, just a segment, or even just a chat, really, just a very short chat. And an hour later, we <laughs> we realised that... a couple that, of words in. Yeah, exactly. And we realised very quickly that Dawn was, um, you know, Dawn had a lot to say. And to be honest, it was just so worth listening to because brilliant. she had a great story to tell. If every... If every child who was born blind or had a or who had vision loss at some point in their early years had Dawn as a mum, we would be in a very different world today. Because honestly, she was incredible. The mm. way she just took on and look, she admits herself it was never easy. There was nothing about it that was simple or easy. But she realized just, just knuckling down and getting on with it was the only way. And, you know, Essentially coming up with that approach of my kid can do anything, you know, mm. within reason, obviously. But, you know, if my kid wants to do a zip line, then he can do a zip line. Mm-hmm. Why not? Um, so, yeah, just it's really, really interesting. But it came from the question about my question, which I put out there, which was around guide dogs and canes. I had seen a lot of, I think, unintentional. I don't think any of it was intentional, but unintentional comments about negative comments about the white cane and it was coming from people who were usually you know guide dog owners who had not had a guide dog for a while they were in that middle ground Mm -hmm. and i totally get this 
if you are a guide dog owner, you are. And if if you're a guide dog owner, not having the dog and having to go to the stick probably does feel not great, right? Mm-hmm. But I fear that being talked about too publicly because what I think the public feel is that the white cane is some entry level, you know, it's like the intel of mobility aids, you know. Ooh. The guide dog is the M1 <laughs> Pro, right? <laughs> <laughs> ultra yeah exactly it's like the ultra it's like the one you all that's the desired one and i've had it so many times and this is what it's what it came from because i had so many experiences in my life where people would say to me well don't you have a dog are you not blind enough and i'd, I'd say that's not how it works it's not about how blind i am depends on whether i have a cane or a dog it's a choice and i have a choice i mean i made a choice to go down the route of of looking at guide dogs and thinking about maybe this would be suitable to me and then came to the conclusion it wasn't. After my own experience as a kid, and I was a kid at the time, 19, um, and it didn't work for me then. I thought later in life it might, it didn't. But I can see, you know, from both sides, I can see how it benefits. But what I my thing is, let's not make it a competition. It's not one or the other. And when we're talking publicly, we really probably shouldn't talk down the white cane. You know, I, I'm not one for, you know me, Robin, I've said this to you a million times on the show, privately, publicly, everywhere. I am not for the one true opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's entitled to a view on everything and everyone should express their view. There are, however, a couple of exceptions, I think. And especially when it comes to the blind community. And one example I gave years ago was audio description. I remember people who would say to me, well, I don't use audio description, so I don't care. And they talk about that publicly. And I used to get really annoyed by that because I'd say, look, even if you don't use audio description, you know what? Talking up does you no harm. And actually it benefits everybody else. Because it just takes one person to hear from our community. Oh, well, that's, you know, I don't care about audio description. I don't watch television. I don't care about it. Then suddenly we're in a position where, okay, someone hears that and says, oh, well, blind people don't care. Because we are the only community left where if one person says something, it seems to represent everybody. We, I I certainly don't promote the one true opinion. But unfortunately, the sighted community do tend to think of us as one homogenous group. So... I am concerned when we we talk things down or we don't promote things that perhaps we should. You know, I'm not really that into audiobooks, as you well know. <laughs> I am not, I just I haven't got the, the patience or the mindset to read them. I know that, you know, here on AMI, we've got some great audiobook shows and that's brilliant. And lots of people love their audiobooks. Many blind people love listening to audiobooks. You mm. are, you never not listening to a book. But I, you know, but just because I'm not into them, I would never talk it down. I would never be saying, "Oh, do you know, I don't care about audiobooks. Pfft, couldn't care less." Because it wouldn't, it wouldn't be fair. In my mind, it wouldn't be fair to everyone else who does want to access audiobooks. And considering the fact that we are always going to be lesser than, I know that may be hard to hear, but it's true. So we have to, you know, promote ourselves, push ourselves up. So that's where that all came from. Anyway, that's my TED talk or. Um, so we've been getting a lot of feedback on this and I'll get your view on this shortly as well, because I want to get your take on the whole, you know, mm. guide dog and cane thing. Cause I know you've had different opinions over the years on this as well. So I'm going to start with, um, Caleb. Now Caleb's just got his new guide dog. Let's hear his email read for us by a poorly Laura. Oh, hello, 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 Stephen, Sean and Mark. I've really enjoyed listening to your discussion about the guide dogs versus mobility cane. I wonder if some of the fervour around this subject comes from the emotional journey we each take to arrive at each option. I have RP, and it took me years before I could no longer hide and adapt to my increasing vision loss. I resisted accepting my diagnosis and increasing vision loss as much as I could until I could no longer get by. Only then did I get my first mobility cane. Even then, however, I never had it out in front of anyone I knew, and it would go back into my bag before I rounded the corner onto my street. It was a long struggle to accept the mobility cane and what it meant about my future. Years later, I'm very happy I have a cane today and appreciate all that it empowers me to do every day. But, at least for me, 
It will always be a reminder of those anxious years when I was struggling with my changing circumstances. Conversely, I'm really looking forward to getting a guide dog. Now that I've fully accepted the white cane and, by extension, my new reality, getting a guide dog only feels empowering and has none of the angst and anxiety attached to it. If my experience isn't too unique, perhaps that is partly why people are quick to praise the guide dog and fuss about the mobility cane afterwards. As always, I learn a lot from your show. I really appreciated the advice I got from my earlier inquiries about inverting colours while using Adobe Acrobat and carrying my iPhone hands-free and not on my head. Thanks, Laura. (laughs) God bless you, Mr. F. Cheers, gents. Caleb from Minnesota. Hashtag friend of the shed. A shout out for Laura there. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. Laura gets a mention as well, which is just fantastic. What's your take on all this? Because I I think Caleb makes a really interesting point there about people's experience of the cane because of where it comes from. You know, the feeling of the cane. Because you haven't, let's be honest, you're not the biggest fan of it. I mean, I should start by saying it's a completely personal thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody... um, people may have different uh, reactions to either a cane or a dog. I mean, I think your and my reactions to cane and dog are probably (laughs) inverted, you know, opposite. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just like with Caleb, I started to use a white cane under duress because I didn't want to be that guy, uh, but I needed it. And I went to a... um, RNIB residential college. Wow, that was a luxury back then. They don't exist now, oh, I don't think. Right. Um, and was taught mobility. And that was a white cane. And I went around Torquay, which is where this place was, really higgledy-piggledy, cobbles and windy, just like Warwick, to be honest. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it got me around. Um I felt really awkward. And again, that's just what was happening inside me. You know, I I felt like people were giving me a wide berth, understandably. Mm. There was no social interaction at all with people other than to, you know, helpfully get out of my way and to help me out of difficult situations, potentially, or kind of ask, are you all right when it's got caught on yet another paving stone and given me another belly button? Because I always (laughs) held it in the middle. I was never told that you could hold it at the side. No, Um, no. So anyway, it wasn't great. It wasn't a great experience. And then uh, sort of 18 months later, when I was in a position to get a guide dog, I just felt so much more comfortable from a social point of view, because the the response from people was just night and day. And it's such a sort of social plus to have a dog and people feel um, comfortable to interact with you and that sort of thing. So putting mobility to one side for a moment, that's the contrast I felt with between the two. So that's kind of a side issue. Do you, um, do you feel that you're more seen as a person with a dog as opposed to not being? Because uh, it, it kind of sounds the way you describe it, like people are kind of doing everything they can to keep away from you with the cane, whereas with the dog, they're willing to come up to you. Oh, and you're okay like a, with that. They're like a magnet, dogs. Yeah. They really are. I mean... Again, this could just be how what was happening inside my head, but I felt like I was the guy that um, people might pity mm. with a white stick. Um, whereas with a guide dog, if anything, it's like admiration that for the dog, you know, and the partnership and the kind of the whole concept of dogs. I mean, we're a dog mad nation, so um, yeah, just kind of on that side of things, it felt really positive, and to me. Personally, the cane felt really negative and quite jarring in many ways. So, yeah, I mean, maybe if I'd been in a different place, kind of confidence wise, but I mean, who is super confident when they're losing their vision and having to be forced to, you know, kind of move to the next stage with when it comes to a mobility aid? But, you know, maybe some people are uh, much more resilient in that area. But, um, or maybe it was the, the really, um, it, you know, inconvenient surfaces and, um, you know, terrain of, of Torquay, if I'd have been... I, I don't, no, I, I don't think you have to apologise for it. I think it's, it is exactly, that is your feeling, that is your view, and you're right to hold it, because at the end of the day, 
you know, for me, I, I can't say that I've had a, a love affair with the cane. I haven't. You know, I remember yeah. when I first started using it, I hated it. And I think mm. probably most of us can agree on that, that at the beginning. And, you know, I started learning to use the cane properly. My orientation and mobility started when I was seven. So really young. So I got it into my head how I was supposed to use it. But I did, I, my vision level was at a point where I could get away without using it. And of course, as a kid, you wanted to fit in. So to fit in meant don't have this thing anywhere near me. Yeah. And that carried on into my 20s. And then about 24, being 23, if I remember rightly, it just things seemed to take a dip. And that was when I felt there, was, there were problems. And then, of course, I had an accident, which, which led me to say, I really must start using the cane. I, I, I walked into a, a, well, I wouldn't call it a wall. It was a, like a railing that was mm-hmm. up in a, a town centre. And I would have, if you had said to me, you know, bet the family silver on there being nothing in front of you, I'd have, I'd have taken the bet. I'd have, There's nothing in front of me. Nothing at all is in front of me. What are you talking about? Doof. And then I walked headfirst into this thing, Oof. and it was terrifying because what I then realised was that I was going through a period where the vision was clearly going down and the, the brain was adding the images in as you go along. Mm. And that's mm. dangerous because suddenly things start to change in front of you. What you think you're seeing is what you're hearing, not what you're seeing. And that became a challenge. So that's when I started using the cane. And actually, that's when Sean and I met. Sean and I met because we were talking about the subject of using the cane. And he was like me. He would do what I did. He would come into his street and he would fold his cane away because his neighbours, you know, didn't ever leave the street and would never see him anywhere else. So we would never have an idea he used the cane. So he would fold up the cane, put it in his bag and then, you know, manoeuvre his way to his front door. All in the sense of, you know, I don't know, some weird egotistical nonsense that we all go through with this. You know, they don't want to show it, don't want to let people know, even though they probably know themselves and, you know, watch you trying to get into the wrong house or whatever it is. And it was difficult, you know, it was difficult to go through. And, and I don't know, maybe years on of doing it, there comes to a point, either you just get to a point where you just think, I've just, I've had it with this. I, I can't. I just can't be bothered hiding it anymore. And I certainly can't be bothered struggling with the emotion of what this represents. I just have to get to where I'm going. I have to get on with my life. And maybe that's the turning point. I don't know what it is for most people, but for me, it was certainly, it felt like that where just, there was almost a, okay, enough's enough. I've got to go on with this. And the dog for me, you know, I'm, I'm the opposite of you. I, would rather not speak to people when I'm out and about. I want to get to where I'm going. I don't <laughs> well, want don't to be interrupted. Because you can just say, oh, sorry, working. You know, in fact, they don't kind of interfere when he's working. They might just call out, you know, like, nice dog, mate, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But when you, if you stand still for three seconds, then yeah, you're in for a chat. But um, <laughs> it, I think it's probably about acceptance as much as anything else, because maybe if I'd persevered with the cane and, and, you know, dogs weren't an option. And let's face it, there's a tiny, minuscule number of guide dog owners compared to white cane users in mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. You know, even in the UK, it's something like 5% of um, people who are blind are guide dog owners. If that, you know, it's really, really small, um, it just doesn't scale. You know, they, they just couldn't. If if more people wanted it, then they couldn't meet demand. So, you know, um, but if they weren't, if it wasn't available, who knows? I mean, maybe I would have just come to terms with the white cane and would love it now. So because of the mobility, the the freedom, the independence that it gives you. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's brought up a lot of interesting stories and, of course, emotions to go with it. And I know this isn't necessarily tech and I know that that's, you know, people say, oh, it's supposed to be a tech show. But yeah, it is, you know, it's a tech show, honest. Um, but, you know, equally, this comes up because I think, you know, actually this whole subject came out of, I think for me, CES this year, where, you know, we were seeing so many new types of technology that were coming in to almost replace the cane and the dog. And I, I kind of feel, again, it's this thing that there's something wrong with these options. And there isn't. To me, it's a problem that is not requiring a solution. It's I mean, to go back problem. to your incident with the bar at head height mm. um to be fair a, a cane or a dog might not you know wouldn't 
cover that. So no, that's like true. Biped. That's true. But I think <laughs> the thing that's but the, the biped, biped would be a great example for that. But but again, that's 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 for the upper body. And actually, biped reacted to as they told us in the show, they reacted to the concerns and the feedback from people who were saying, "Don't give us that lower, yeah. you know, the lower half of our body view through the camera that they had on the device because we don't need that. We've got the cane or the dog for that. Give us what's head height or what's coming at us." at head height or even above. And I think that was the, the thing about Biped, that they listened to the feedback and they said, oh, actually, that's something we need to change in, in future editions because people just don't need it. Look, stick around. We're going to take a short break. We've got to take a break. So we'll come back in a minute. We'll get more of your feedback on this and lots more. This is Double Tap. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. Okay, let's get back to your emails. Robin, there's been so many emails coming in on this subject of guide dogs and canes, and it's really sparked a, a very interesting conversation. Here's a comment from Frank. Again, our email read for us by Laura. Hi, all. The debate on the best method of guidance has been very interesting for me as a 73-year-old. I had no formal mobility training until the age of 40. At that time, I was taught to use the long cane and went on using this method for about five years until my social worker asked if I would like to train with a guide dog. I did, and that was a culture shock in itself, and felt much more relaxed once I got to know the dog. I still use the cane while free-running the dog, but that was only for a short time. I've had three dogs, one after the other, finishing on a Friday with one dog and starting on the Monday with the new one, that was until I retired my last dog at the grand old age of 11. I had about three months with no dog and had to use my trusty cane. That's when I knew how bad my sight had become. I must have hit every lamppost, bin and curb in the area, but needs must. <laughs> the debate on what mobility aid to use is, in my opinion, an individual choice. There is no right mm. and no wrong method of getting about, as long as we all get to the right place in one piece. That includes coming back from a night on the booze. Like you, I have a tongue in my head and I use it. We have a saying, shy bands get out. Regards and keep up the good work, Frank. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, shy bairns. There's a good Scottish word for you. Bairns, <laughs> babies. Um, fantastic, Frank. Thank you so much for that. Um, I want to get a voicemail in here. This is from Greg, who's uh, sent in this voicemail to us by calling our listener line, one eight seven seven. 803-4567. Hello, Double Tappers. This is Greg from Phoenix, and I just wanted to say, hey, Sean, I'm hoping you're feeling better. Hope the fall wasn't too bad. And also wanted to comment on the canes versus guide dogs and other mobility things that have come up lately. I uh, have a guide dog. I went to a school called Guide Dogs in the Desert in California. And when I was being checked out for my dog, first thing they did was to make sure that I knew how to get around. I had some mobility of my own, and that was with a cane. And all through my training, they always encouraged us to bring a cane along with us because there are situations where you just need to tap around and feel and find out what you're doing. Dog is awesome. I love having my dog, but a cane is just as important as a tool. And, of course, is just as good of a tool or a way for people to get around if that's what they prefer. So I think using the two in combination can be very helpful. Uh, once you, when you're trying to find something and your dog can't always find things for you, can't, he knows how to get around things. Your cane is something you can use to find things. And then the other, the other thing is all these tech pieces that help us to avoid obstacles. I'm of the opinion that any of those technologies should be something that is just looking up because just like uh, I think it was Matt that you talked to, I've gotten poked a million times when I'm walking around with either my cane or my dog because neither of them have the ability to look up, or at least they're not well, the dog is not well trained to be looking up. And so I've run into lots of things. I've 
gotten my eyes poked a number of times. So I'd love to have a piece of technology that only told me about things that were at head level. I don't care about what's down below. That's what the dog and the cane is for. So to me, I think an awesome thing would be if they could, somebody could develop an app for your phone and you could wear the phone around your neck in some kind of lanyard because we love our lanyards um, <laughs> and use the, uh, the LIDAR function of a pro phone to be watching up. That's my thought. Maybe someone will invent that. Anyway, thanks as always. Love your show. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Greg. Thank you so much. Um, I've got to say, I think that, you know, do you remember those big American trains and they would have the big snow shovels mm. in the front of them? Yeah, cow cow thing. Cow things? <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. Cow thing. Um, <laughs> those big triangular kind of frames that come out yes, the front. Yes, that's right. That's for pushing cows I thought that was a snow shovel. line. No, totally. Oh, what's it called? It's the cow thing. It's oh, a cow mover. Listeners... Let us know. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's, not for, it's not for cleaning cows off the road. What are you talking okay, about? Let's um, get feedback on that one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, carry on. Well, I think we need one of those, but head height. You know, invert it. Just walk around, essentially, with this thing poking out of our heads <laughs> that pushes things out of the way for us. That's the answer. Cow catcher. I think that's what it's called. Anyway. An inverted um, cow catcher. Can you get that on Amazon? I don't know what have cows in my hair. Get those yeah, out exactly. there. Yeah. Get them all um, moved. Move. Move. Never mind. Oh. <sighs> in case people are wondering what the deal is with guide dogs and higher obstacles, um, when you're training, and this might vary school to school, you know, in different countries, etc. But for us anyway, with all three, uh, four of my guide dogs, when you're training, you go through different obstacle courses and you weave through them and they've set them all up with traffic cones and these kind of frames where you have bamboo canes kind of poised on top of uh, uprights at different heights. And the dog is supposed to weave through them. So you imagine these uprights with a cane at tummy height or a head height and the rest of it is just completely open. So it's so tempting for the dog to go through. Um, if the dog successfully weaves around and doesn't take you through any of those where you just get a little tap and the cane falls to the ground, then the dog gets rewarded. If it falls, you know, if, if it does take you through and you knock one of those off, then you take the dog back a few steps and you reapproach it and hope that the dog will take you around. So they are trained to be aware of what's above, but they're very... Um, clear in what they say, the instructors, that you cannot guarantee, you cannot rely on the dogs always being aware of what's up above, yeah. because there's this great big open space. We've all come across these uh, railings or bars where, you know, it's basically just a bar at chest height and a completely blank space underneath. And, you know, maybe it's done like that on purpose so that people can push their buggies and they don't have to kind of weave through the kind of chicane. But um, for whatever reason, that's the design. And it's so tempting for the dog. There's just this big wide open space. But they are trained to try and avoid upper body obstacles. But you cannot guarantee it by any means. In particular, the great big wing mirrors on trucks mm -hmm. that stick way out over the pavement. Uh, the dog's just tootling along and doesn't spot those or maybe kind of thorny bushes at head height and stuff. So... Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it is. And, and maybe that's where tech comes in. And like Greg says, yeah. that's really where we need that tech to focus on. He refers to Matt Ater, of course, in our conversation we had with him at the weekend on uh, Matt, of course, being the vice president at uh, Sparrow. And we were chatting with him about all kinds of things. But he was talking about the fact that at CES this year, all the technology seemed to focus on uh, things that stop us walking into things, uh, which seems good. Uh, it seems like a good idea. Uh, but there's a lot of that tech and uh, not entirely sure how it will all work. Biped, I think, is the one that stands out, I think, out of all of them, because it's the one which has got the cameras at chest level. It can it can mm -hmm. get a good view. I mean, how practical that is, walking around with a toilet seat around your head, um, I don't know. It was 900 grams. That's nearly a kilo. <laughs> 
I couldn't believe it when he said how much you, it weighed. You're now an expert in fitness. You'll be able to carry that around without even breaking a sweat. In fact, you don't even sweat. No, I don't. So there you go. You, you definitely <laughs> not break a sweat. You're guaranteed not to do that. That's one thing. Guaranteed not to sweat. Only if you're Robin Christopherson. Uh, I want to bring in mm. an email from Wayne because he takes us on a slightly different direction on this, which I think is quite interesting. He suggests a third option for mobility. Here's uh, Wayne's email read by Laura. Hello, lads. Sean, I broke my leg once as well just to get out of work many moons ago. To be fair, though, you've created an opportunity on how to use a long cane using a wheelchair. That's excellent content for your job and Mark will be very pleased with you, I'm sure. Luckily, there is a new all-terrain long cane that you can buy with its extendable length. You'll be great for wheelchair mobility, not to mention being able to detect ice in case you want to do a three-point spin. Before I was rudely interrupted by Sean's broken leg... I was going to talk about the importance of good technique with a cane alongside memory mapping techniques that will really help in building confidence and personal autonomy. Like Sean, I have retinitis pigmentosa at an advanced stage. Nowadays, I only have perception of light and no associated shadowing or detail vision of any kind. By learning to use a long cane properly alongside memory mapping, I can travel around most of the environments I want to without any sense of anxiety or risk-taking, including local reservoirs and city centres. I have no difficulties with buses or trains, etc. Essentially, it's starting small around your immediate and important destinations and moving outwards, extending your travel area with confidence. You are anxious because you haven't embedded the foundation skills you need. Henshaw Society for the Blind in Manchester should be able to sort out mobility training or your local authority should have a rehabilitation worker you can refer to. I do not use a guide dog at all, For me, like Stephen, I like to touch the environment around me. This builds my mental map and reference points and gives me knowledge about my surroundings that I might not discover using a guide dog. The disadvantages of guide dogs are that they are actually working dogs requiring genuine and responsible maintenance, including proper free time through exercise, proper dieting and animal care. Most importantly for me, using a guide dog means that interrupted travel would be a constant problem. People love guide dogs and I would be continually delayed by people wanting to interact more with the dog than with myself. (laughs) Lol. (laughs) For some, that's a wonderful opportunity for social engagement, but for me, it would be problematic in trying to do things in my day. There is an actual third option that I had explored also. This is the principle of flash sonar that is advocated for by Dan Kirsch. Dan is a totally blind mobility officer and uses the click technique to provide echolocation feedback to provide extremely effective environmental information for a skilled user. I did actually try to develop this skill and I did make progress. You need to use it continuously around two months to begin to feel that you are getting the nuances. It can be used just to hear walls, bus shelters or aisles in a supermarket etc. when first starting out. The principle is that the echolocation can, in effect, simulate the visual cortex of the brain and create some form of perception of what is around you through sound feedback from the click and immediate environment. This is very definitely a skill that anyone at any age can learn. It did work. I remember one occasion when I was using the local public gym. I was coming out of the changing room and was using the click technique. It felt to me that there were people in front of me, to the right, at the end of the long corridor, but somehow I perceive that there is an adult and a child because of the sound shadow that is projected when sound moves past an object. When I passed where I thought these people were, they started talking, and it turned out to be a woman and her child to the right-hand side of the corridor. A sound change is a bit like what happens if someone stands in front of your sound speaker and the sound becomes muffled. With practice, you can hear where the sound is clearer and where it becomes muffled, and you learn to interpret it more accurately. I could certainly use it to detect something like a tree on a pavement or a thicker streetlight post without having to contact it with my cane. Of course, in the beginning, I would touch objects with my cane when using the click technique to prove to myself that something was there. I think it would be a great idea as part of a mobility discussion to invite Dan Kirsch to talk about flash sonar technique to move beyond long cane and guide dog themes. I'll stop here. Sorry for the long waffle. I was using voice dictation on the Mac and of course it's easy to let things run away with you. Sean, make sure you put your tea station in your shed so you don't have to wander backwards and forwards. Maybe a camping bed so you don't miss work? There's something to look forward to. Once the plaster comes off, your leg will be like a chicken stick. You'll take some weeks after that before you're walking properly again. I wish you all the best and don't forget, manipulate Mark for all those best treats and gifts like two new home pods to help you with your recovery and work effort. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, you do have my permission to edit everything in this email to something more usable. All the best, Wayne. Oh, thank you, Wayne. I don't know why would I want to edit any of that? That was brilliant. It was a really interesting email. I, I just, I, just really to good. be clear on the the name, because I, I know you said Kirsch. I think it was Dan Kish, wasn't it? Daniel Kish is the guy's name. But uh, yeah, he's um, he's a great guy, and it does. I, I think that really opens up an interesting other option for people. I know some people who do this, and they they swear by it as a way of getting around. And funnily enough, I have never really used it professionally. I've never certainly been taught to you to do it, but on the odd occasion. I, I certainly feel I am more aware of sound and the impact sound has in the environment. You know, I can go past a van Absolutely. at night and I can tell there's something there and it's probably a van because you're kind of contextualising as well sometimes. But it's... Yeah, sometimes. Not um, all the time. <laughs> you know, walking along and suddenly the acoustics change completely yeah. and I almost shy back. That's right, yeah. It's, it's so like, well, What have I walked into here? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just that it's, you know, like a massive van... Uh, parked really close or something. Totally. I mean, I did try echolocation a couple of times, but I just felt really self-conscious. Mm. I think clicking with your fingers, I can't do that. I just can't mm, click. Can't do that. So I'd have to do it with my yeah. tongue. I wouldn't want to do that. But clicking with your fingers, that's cool. So, um, yeah, definitely. As an adjunct to using a white cane, for example, because I don't think it would give you information about, you know, pavement surfaces and, and curbs and stuff like mm. that. But, yep. Really good. Carrie writes on Twitter, One day, Stephen, I hope you find Plant Pot Man and I will enjoy every minute of your interview with him. That would be the perfect end to an episode like this, wouldn't it? The interview with Plant Pot Man. I need to go back to the NFB uh, convention one of these years and uh, see if I can meet up with Plant Pot Man. Maybe he'll be still at the same plant pot. You never know. It'll be like sleepless in Seattle, but with plant pots and blind people. Robin, it's been a lot of fun spending the hour with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Come back again soon. It's been a lot of fun. A pleasure. Get well soon, Sean. Keep your emails coming. <laughs> Feedback at doubletaponair.com, one eight seven seven eight zero three four five six seven. I promise you we'll talk more tech tomorrow. This is Double Tap. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.